Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Really fantastic to be with you guys today. Pastor, thank you, Pastor John. Would you, guys, would you guys give Pastor John a huge round of applause? I feel like one of the uh, sweet things about coming to uh, not just Lifehouse Newport News, but any chance I get to speak at one of our network churches is it's a little bit like um, meeting my, some of my older girls' friends. So I, we have, my wife and I, we have six kids. Um, two, our two oldest are adults, which is a little weird to say because I don't feel like we're that old, and right, we don't even look that old, at least my wife doesn't, but, um, but when we, you know, they go off to college, and then like we go down and visit them, we get to meet this whole like community of people that they care about, that they know, they're friends, and we're coming in like just as parents, like, hi, you know, and then like they have them over our house, and we feel like we're meeting their world, and that's how I feel coming into Lifehouse Newport News is like, it's like meeting my adult kids, you know, like, man, this is awesome. And uh, you guys are adults, you're all grown up, and it's awesome just to be able to be part of it and be a small part of the story of what God is doing here. I, I can tell you, we love Pastor John and Kristen, so incredibly grateful for you guys. I pray for Lifehouse Newport News regularly. Um, every, every weekend, we pray for all the different churches and the services they're going to have. I, I was praying for you guys this morning, and so I want you to know my heart is with you. Uh, we believe in you. We're cheering for you, even if it's from a distance. So let me jump right in and ask you, a, uh, an ob- like you're going to think it's obvious, the, the answer to this question, but have you ever said something you wish you hadn't said? Like, uh, yeah, obviously, right? Have you ever wish you had said something you didn't say? Now, most of the time, when you wish you had said something you didn't say, it's because you walked away from a challenging conversation and you were like, oh, oh, that would have been good. Oh, I wish I had thrown that one out there. Like, you know, pull the pin and, you know, like, but, but man, you didn't think of it. You didn't quite come to your tongue as fast as you could have, but you wish you had said it. But the truth is, if you had said it, then it would have been added to the first question, which is, have you ever said things you wish you hadn't said, right? But then there are a few times you walked away from a moment and you're like, man, I, I missed that moment. I wish I had said that. Um, usually it's from people we love, right? We walked away from a conversation and walked away from our kids. and went, Man, I really, I wish I had said that to them. So obviously, we had a moment, and you know, one of the challenges of speaking in a church and preaching is you try to draw the, draw the line between how, how vulnerable you're going to be. And so in this moment, let me try to be as vulnerable and authentic as I can without using you guys like a therapy session, okay? So this is not that long ago, a couple weeks ago, um, my oldest son, who's seven, had pushed the line. He's just being ornery and disobedient. And so I just, I needed to discipline him really quick, but he would not take the discipline. I mean, he was being completely defiant. And at first it was funny, and then it outraged me, and then it was funny again, and then, yeah, I was, and then I got angry. So anyway, after the moment passed, which took far longer than it should have, which irritated me more because we were waiting to eat. 
and my food is getting cold. And now I'm getting mad because I'm having to deal with him even though I want to go eat brunch. Okay. So I walk away, and he's in the living room crying, and I storm out, and I'm so frustrated. And I said something really snarky and sarcastic and mean, except I said it in a way that only the adults in the room could understand. Not because it was four, any four-letter words. I just said it using big enough words that I knew he would have no idea what I was saying. And I laughed, and my adult girls laughed, but Laura didn't laugh, which is always a bad sign, right? You're like... Uh-oh. And then she later, like, actually pretty quick, she said, Patrick, you can't say things like that. Because even if he doesn't know what you said, he knows it was mean. So when he came in, in front of the whole family, I said, you know, sweetheart, I am so sorry. Daddy shouldn't have said that. And I apologize. Even though I know you don't know what I said, <laughs> I'm not going to explain it to you. Uh, I shouldn't have said it. I'm really sorry. Daddy loves you. You know, and I, I apologize. There's this little saying that some of us grew up hearing, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know it's not true, right? Like, the, the truth is, you can heal from wounds, you can heal from physical injuries, bones, you know, you can get them braced back together, but the truth is, some of the deepest wounds you still have in your life were from words people spoke over you. And some of you, you could remember things that your parents or someone in influence said to you and over you decades ago. Some of those things have defined your life. They define your fears. They define your insecurities. And it's some of you, it's defined your story. You're still harboring hurt, harboring hate from things casually said, things carelessly said, things callously said. Things that are casually, carelessly, callously said can become curses in our life, even if no curse was used when it was spoken. And as a result, you and I go looking to cover the curse by hearing from someone else words of approval. And what I know is that many, some of the poor decisions I've made in life were in attempt, an attempt to get approval from someone I should never have been seeking approval from. Some of the poor decisions in your life were an attempt to hear words of approval from others because you did not get them from the people you needed to hear them from. And some of the poor decisions of others in your life, some of the people you love, some of the poor decisions they've made or are making or are as a result of them seeking approval from others that maybe they needed to hear from you. So what is that void in your life where you need to hear words of approval, words of care and encouragement of support that leaves a void in your heart to this day? Imagine a nation living under the oppression of a powerful government. Imagine a nation living under systemic poverty as the result of a government that was taxing everyone into suppression and oppression. Talking about the nation of Israel under Roman Empire. Okay, in case you were, in case you were thinking something else, 
I'm talking about the early church where the Roman Empire was crushing the nation of Israel, taxing people into oblivion and persecuting the church and Christians. And as a result, persecution caused the church in Jerusalem to scatter. Many of the early believers spread out to the countryside and then to other countries. It's actually how the message of Jesus got spread early on. And so some of the pastors that were in the, early, in the church in Jerusalem had to go with the people as they scattered and spread out. Some of the strongest and boldest pastors stayed behind in the city of Jerusalem. One of them was the half-brother of Jesus, James. And uh, he wrote a book called It Is What It Is. Uh, no, that's just the title of this sermon series. But he wrote a letter that got circulated to the churches that had been scattered. And in the Bible, it's called the letter of James. But it's, it's the heart of a pastor to a church that's hurt and angry and frustrated because they've been mistreated. So some of them are in hiding, cowering in fear, complying to the pressure of their culture. They look more like the world than the church should. Others, because of their angry, anger, began to rage against the Roman Empire. And they started to pick fights and say things that had nothing to do with the message of Jesus. Boy, this might just sound just a tiny bit familiar. Maybe about some of your frustrations. And so James writes to the church to challenge them to live their faith boldly even in how they suffer and how they run their business and how they handle issues of power and poverty, how they speak. And so in his letter, in the Bible, it's broken into chapters and verses. So we're going to open to James, the letter of James chapter 3. And it starts this way. When he's talking about how you speak, he starts by addressing those in power and he says this in verse one not many of you should be teachers my fellow believers because you know that you we who teach will be judged more strictly now if you're at all on social media maybe another way of saying this would be not many of you should want to be influencers not many of you should want your posts to be viewed by go viral not many of you should want a lot of people to read what you wrote. Not many of you should be teachers or leaders or influencers. Why? Because your words carry greater weight, which means you're going to be held to a greater accountability. If you're the dad in the home, what you speak can direct someone's life. So you're going to be held more accountable than anyone else in the home, not just by your wife or your kids, but before God. So he said, be careful. If you want to lead, if you want to teach, if you want to be an influencer, be careful because you will be held to a greater account for the words you speak. And then he continues. And then he gives like this really, this is like such a pastor's heart. He's like, hey, those of you that have influence, those of you that are teachers, but you got to be careful because you're going to be judged with a greater level of accountability. By the way, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault and what they say is perfect, 
able to keep their whole body in check. And so he gives like this little like encouragement. He goes, wait, wait, by the way, before I kind of throw another punch, let me just say this. Like this is hard. Like we all mess up, right? Like such a pastor's heart. Like, man, we don't have this thing all figured out. Like even I say the wrong thing. So literally that's why I wanted to share that story when I started so that you don't think this is coming from a place of like me preaching at you. Really, I'm preaching at myself, and I'm speaking what God is. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching from the word of God to us, right? Like, this is more of a dialogue. I'm saying, hey, I'm in it with you, because that's the way James wrote this, is like, we're in this thing together. Like, if any of us spoke perfectly, we'd be perfect, and we would have complete control of every aspect of our life, which obviously we don't, and that's what he's getting at. Then he does this. He goes, now, let me explain to you how powerful your words are. I mean, why is this worth me pausing in a letter to talk about, to write about? He goes like this, because your mouth, your words, your tongue is like a bit in the mouth mouth of a horse. It can direct the whole body. Think about this as the body of Christ. The words of the church are like a bit that can direct the entire church. Think about it from a position of power. Uh, a leader has the power to steer an entire nation. Like His words are like a bit that can direct the whole community, the whole state, the whole country. Because words are powerful. Then he goes, yes, not only is it like a bit in the horse of a mouth, it's like the rudders on a ship. It can direct the, the, the direction of an entire ship. Now, we're going to be careful because this is, I mean, Newport News. I mean, we're all about ships here. And so we'll pick on that, pick up on that in just a little bit. But, like, you know then how powerful it is and how, how huge a ship, smaller rudder, and yet it can direct the entire ship. And then he shifts metaphors, and he goes like this. Not only that, not only are your words powerful, he goes, but your words can be like a poison. Your words can be like a spark that starts a fire. It can, it, can, it can start a forest fire. It can cause things to erupt and ignite in people's lives. And you can, you can be speaking and suddenly where you should have poured water, you, you lit a match and it erupted something that should have never been lit. Some of you are arsonists with your words. And I get it, right? Like some of us, it comes out easy. But then once the fire started, oh boy, hard to put out, right? Okay. And then he wraps up his metaphor, and he says this, With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's speaking to the church. So if if you're new to Life House, you're kind of off the hook on this one. Just kind of giving you a break. If you're, if you don't, you're not ready to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're brand new to the church, James is letting you off the hook. But to those who believe in Jesus, those who are part of the church, he's saying, hold up, hold up. You can't be in worship and celebrating God and then turn around the next moment and start speaking curses and cursing over people. So what is the key principle? I mean, what do you take? How do you apply this to your life? Well, the application is very straightforward, and it's this. You and I need to learn to speak life. Our words should build up and not tear down. Because 
Your words can either build up or tear down. And so he's saying the way you talk should build up rather than tear down. Choose to build up. But this is hard to do. Why is it hard to do? I mean, why is this a struggle that even James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the first church, the church of Jerusalem, struggles with? Well, he explains. He goes like this in verse 6, and I'll read a little bit of verse 6 and verse 8. He goes like this. Because the mouth, it corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And is itself set on fire? says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison wow that's a stinging indictment similar to the words of jesus he said how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of you know you know what you don't ever say, like, you know what Jesus was trying to say, because Jesus said it. But what the, a little phrase I use a lot is, what fills, spills. And so I want you to say it with me. Ready? Say, what fills, spills. One more time, because I really want this to kind of get embedded in your heart. What fills, spills. So what James says is this, right? Like, um, you can't have salt water and fresh water come out of the same place you, you don't get olives from a grapevine right the roots produce fruit if you've got apple tree roots you get apples and if if evil is coming out of the mouth there are not good roots and if you hear good things coming out of the mouth it's a good indication of good roots what fills, spills. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here is the challenge. If you want to change what's coming out of your mouth, you've got to change the source. Wait, what? How, how do you and I change our roots? Well, got bad news for you. You can't. No, you and I were born with a corrupted seed inside of every one of us. A seed, a seed called sin. And sin began to grow deep inside of every one of us, and it corrupted every part of us. And that sin, which corrupted every part of us, grew deep roots that separate us from relationship with God and set us on a life course that tricks us into believing that if it feels good, it is good. Only to later discover that just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. In fact, usually it'll wreck your life and destroy you. That's sin. And when it separates us from God and sets us on a life course of ruin, it leads to a forever far from God and eternal judgment. And suddenly you and I begin to realize that that sin source, that seed of sin grew and spread the roots of sin in our lives. It began to cause a fire from hell to burn inside of us that began to cause us to spew sparks that ignite destruction. It's a, it's a poison, a spiritual poison that leaks out of us. What do you do about that? Well, this is where now, regardless of whether you're brand new to life, ask whether you believe in God or not, every one of us, this applies to us. Because in this moment, 
There is a way. You can't change the source, but God. Here's what God does. God came from heaven to earth to transform us. He uproots the root and he took all of the root of sin and he put it on himself, the curse of sin, the judgment of God against sin, and he heaped it on himself. So you could say metaphorically, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he began to drink up the poison that has infected and affected every one of our hearts. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he was drinking, gulp gulp the poison of sin so that when he had drank the last drop he said it is finished there's no more judgment of god against sin so that anyone who believes in jesus by faith is both forgiven and jesus didn't just die he rose from the dead victorious over death victorious over eternal judgment victorious over sin so that anyone who believes in jesus by faith isn't just forgiven but given new and forever life now what's planted inside of you is the seed of god's spirit that begins to overtake the seed of sin and the root of sin and he begins to cause his spirit to spread into every part where sin has affected you and infected you he begins to reverse the curse he becomes the antidote to the poison and he begins to turn salt water fresh he begins to transform and heal the hurts in our life he begins to transform the source so no longer are you sourced by sin you have the source of living water in you you have the seed of the spirit in you that changes your source now if you're brand new and you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ before, maybe you've done church, maybe you've done religion, maybe you've done the complicated gospel. You try to do it on your own. You try to follow all the rules and you realize you can't keep up. And what you need is the simple gospel. Can I encourage you? It's this. Believe in Jesus by faith. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you, rose again for you, that he forgives and gives new and forever life. If you're making that commitment, welcome home. Man, we're inviting you to be part of the family of God. And if you're making that decision, you make sure before you go, you let someone know on your way out, there's a next steps place where you can talk to one of the pastors. There'll be a prayer team on either side right here in this midsection. And you can come, you can say, hey, I made that decision for Jesus. I would love to talk with somebody about that. But this is not just about making a decision for Jesus, right? This is about how he, when the seed of the spirit begins to grow inside of you, the root begins to produce fruit, what fruit is coming out of your life? So now let's jump back into what James is challenging the church. So this is for us. And he, he makes this key point. Here's what I want to make sure you don't miss. Your words are powerful. You want to know how powerful? Check it out. Let me, let me illustrate this for you, right? He says, like a bit, a bit. Now, I'm not an expert on horses. I have ridden horses. I rode on horseback through the Rockies. No joke, true story. To re we went on an elk hunt, backpacked in, but then had to retrieve our kill. And so went back up on horseback in the Rockies, and I can tell you, that little bit is powerful. It'll save your life. I don't know what the heck was wrong with my mare, but she did not have a good sense of staying on the path. And at one point in the dark, she almost stepped off the cliff. And I, I grabbed the rein, and I yanked it to keep her on the path. I'm guessing that rein is, I mean, that bit is less than a half a pound. 
and can steer, I don't know, let's put a picture up here. We've got the draft horses. 2,000 pound horse. So half pound bit steers a one ton horse. Now my horse wasn't this big. She's probably more like 800 pounds, right? But half pound steers one ton. That's a pretty disproportionate impact. Okay, let's get another picture up. He said, like a rudder on a ship. Now, you guys are the experts. You know way more about it than we do in Hagerstown, right? We're a little far from where ships are built. You guys know shipbuilding, but, and I don't know this to be 100%, but I did some research. I looked it up. I was like, wait, how much do, how much do these aircraft carriers weigh? The average aircraft carrier weighs 100,000 tons. What? Check it out. Steered by two rudders, each weighing 50 tons. 100 tons directing 100,000 tons. A thousand to one ratio. Okay, what's the point? The tongue, this is what Proverbs says. The tongue has the power of life and death. You want to know what the point is? Discover the disproportionate power of your words. Or let me say it differently. It's not that you need to discover it. It's that you need to properly weld the power, the disproportionate power of your words. Now, here, here's what I know. Speaking the wrong thing is easy. Saying the right thing is hard. Like when, when I had that moment with my son, I didn't have to sit down and prepare it. Like I didn't have to think about it. It came out of me easy. And then it was funny. And then my girls thought it was funny. Thanks. Girls got me in trouble with mommy, right? The only one that, well, the, the boys didn't know it was funny, and Daniel certainly didn't like it, but the only one that knew it wasn't appropriate was my wife. Thank goodness for our wives. But the point is, I, I wrote a sermon for today. I put like a lot of hours into this, like a lot of hours in order to say the right thing. For some of you, you think a lot about how to say the right thing. Some of you husbands, this is what paralyzes you, right? This is why you don't ever say anything. Because you're like trying to figure out the right thing to say and you can't figure it out. So you just sit there and, you're, and, you're, and your wife is like, why don't you say anything? And you're like, because I know if I open my mouth, the wrong thing's going to come out. <laughs> okay, this was a little bit of therapy. Um, right? But the point is like, like right, you get paralyzed because saying the right thing is hard. Because there's a disproportionate impact. There's a disproportionate power to your words, so weld them wisely. Recognize how powerful your words are, that life and death hang in the balance of your words and what you say and how you say them. Be wise with your words. Recognize that your words, your words can steer an entire, like a ship, right? Is it like Brad, Bradford knows way more than we do, right? Like, it, it, thousands of people on a ship, two rudders can direct an entire city. A, a bit in the mouth of a horse that does labor and work or riding and retrieving or whatever you're doing on the horse, the recreation, like one little thing can direct it. Those few words can set the direction of a marriage. Those few words can set the direction of a child's life. Those few words can steer a church, a neighborhood, a community, a nation. A nation shaped by the words spoken over it. 
Same with the city. The words spoken over the city can change the personality, the identity, the values of a city. Same with the church. So here's the thing. Our words can produce life or death. Choose life, not death. But in order to not choose death, we have to recognize how our words can be weaponized. So let me give you some things about how you can, and this is like a moment for you to do a little analysis. Here's what you're looking for. Check your heart. If I want to make sure that my words don't produce death, watch out. My words become weapons when I dwell on discontentment. When I'm unhappy. When I don't feel like it's good enough. When I don't have enough, right? I'm dwelling on discontentment. I'm harboring hurt. Holding on to resentment and hurt and pain. Things that people have spoken over me. When I identify with my insecurities, I weaponize my words. You catch it? Right? Because those insecurities have come from things people have said or the words you've said over yourself and what fills, spills. So if I keep identifying with my insecurities, I will speak insecurity over others. My words will be weaponized when I keep secret sin. When I keep things hidden, my words become weapons to destroy. So there you go. I gave you a little list. Just things for you to think about and say, man, is there any of that in my heart? Because what that's doing is it's toxicity that's going to create poison that's going to hurt others. It's poisoning you and it's poisoning relationships and it's hurting others and you'll end up wrecking relationships. Okay, but let me, let me come back and I, I want to encourage you. It says this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness, in God's likeness. What is, what is he saying here? He's saying bless rather than curse. Choose to bless rather than curse. We curse when we speak carelessly, casually, and callously meaning thoughtlessly, right? And man, how much of what we see on social media and we see on the news is careless and callous and casually spoken that becomes a curse over you or your home or your relationships over your classroom or your workplace, right? Like, so we know how we can carry a curse, but Jesus came to reverse the curse. You're of a different, you're a different type. Everyone else, man, the root inside of them is broken and sin and shame and guilt. And so what spill, what fills spills, but not you. For you, what fills spills because you have in you the spirit of God. There's some other source inside of you. So let God's blessing come out of you. All right, you with me? So, so what does that look like? When we, we bless, right, if we allow what's, what God has put in us, to come out of us. He must be the source of the words that we speak. You have a choice. Because inside of you, right, when, when you believe in Jesus by faith and God's spirit begins to grow inside of you, right, the seed of God's spirit begins to spread, that sin nature, which is cut off, still has the appearance of life, right? Like what happens when you cut off a limb? 
like, and you lay it in your yard, right? Like, it's the leaves still look green for a while, don't they? Well, when Jesus cut off the source of sin in your life, it still looks alive. I mean, there's still sap flowing through it. It takes a while. In fact, it'll take your whole life for that sin in you to fully die. But over time, it should get weaker and weaker and weaker. It should stop producing fruit. Okay, so here's the thing. Inside of you, every word is sourced from either the sin nature or the Spirit of God. Choose to speak from the Spirit of God. All right, so now, when you do that, here's what happens. You begin to speak what God has spoken. Can I encourage you? You want, you want your words to be a blessing? You want your words to speak life? Speak what God has spoken. You and I have grown up in a social media, not grown up in, for some of us, like, it didn't come around until much later. But regardless, the culture we live in right now is a social media-driven culture. Even if you're not on social media, you're affected by it. You with me so far? Uh, okay, so th there's something really powerful about this that I really want to challenge you with. So this is a moment, right? Like, this is a moment I'm hoping, like, that I can embed in your heart. I hope sticks with every one of you. The challenge we face in a social media culture is we wrongly believe that because I think I should say it, that I actually should say it. And I think that because I want to write it, I should write it. Because I want to post it, I should post it. What we don't recognize is that what we think we should say, we shouldn't always say. What we think we should write, we shouldn't always write. What we think we should post, we shouldn't always post. In fact, vastly the opposite. Most of what is said and posted and written probably should not be because it's sourced from sin. Your words are not only of little value, but have a destructive value when they are sourced from sin. The only words that are spoken that are ever significant and life-giving are when you speak what God has already spoken. I'm going to let you let that settle in for a little while. What has God spoken? And are you learning to speak what God has spoken. Can I, can I illustrate this for you for a moment from a deeply personal place in my own life? And this is, this is a little bit vulnerable. Couple, uh, not, not long ago, but just a few years ago, I was invited to speak in a forum in our city where different key leaders were brought together. And uh, it was kind of a training thing. We had some other, we had like leaders in the room and some other pastors were there, and we, it, was, it was like we were taking turns sharing, but uh, this, this guy next to me, he's, he wasn't from Hagerstown, but he pastored, he pastored a, a, I say pastored, a church in our city. But he lived outside of our city. And I, I really met, I've never met this guy before. And um, he spoke up. And he began to bash my city. I mean, say just the worst things about Hagerstown and just trash our city and tear it down and say, um, I would call it like slanderous 
words about my city. And the more he spoke, the more angry I got. Like I could feel my fists clenching. And I'm a pretty peaceful person. And when he finished, I mean, I, I waited till he finished. And as soon as he finished, I jumped in. And, and this is, I'm going to give you, I said, I'll be vulnerable. I said, if you said what you just said about my wife or about my kids, those would be fighting words. Like we would be throwing down right now. And I promise you I would win because <laughs> um, I'm mad. And, I, and, I, and so I'm in, again, I'm in a room full of like significant leaders in our city. And I said, here's the problem. You're speaking about my city like it isn't full of individuals. Like, it isn't full of real people. You spoke about our problems like they aren't persons. How dare you? And I say, here's, here's what I see. I jog. I've jogged every single street in my city. I have jogged by every single home in my city. I have prayed over every home, every apartment, every townhouse, every family in my city. So when you speak about problems, you're speaking about the people I care about and I pray for that I believe in. Because what I know is that my God is not against this city. My God is for this city. And because God is for this city, the church should be for this city. And I am tired of this kind of talk tearing down and berating and belittling my city. Because what I believe God God says about my city and then I just shared my heart and when I finished the, the whole community like the, the people in the room respond the way you just responded they literally started clapping and I was like I can't believe that these people responded positively because I got mad and and that moment became like a defining moment for our for our city efforts I started to challenge the church not just our church but the churches we have a, a cooperation with over two dozen churches in our city and I said you gotta we've got to learn to speak about the church and about our city like the way I want to speak about my wife and my kids and I know that my words have disproportionate power not just when I speak about them, but what I speak over them. And I want to make sure I speak life and not death. And if we're going to talk about an issue, we do it with grace and compassion and tenderness and the privacy of a place where it's safe. And so as a church, I think it's time that we speak life. Because these are fighting words. And we're in a battle for the souls of our city, for the heart of the church. And I want to make sure that it's life-giving. Are your words life-giving? Let me be clear. Every word you speak becomes prophetic. Either you're falsely prophesying death over the city and a church and a community and your family, or you're prophesying what God has spoken. Do you know that uh, the average person speaks 16,000 words a day? Average woman speaks 25,000. The average guy speaks 7,000. True story. They've done the research. I'm not trying to call anybody out. If I want to make fun, I'll say if the average pastor uh, was given 30,000 words. So I'm just throwing myself under the bus there. But the point is this. You know what that adds up to? In a year, so the average like scholarly book, you would be writing 100 books a year with the words you speak. Do you know what that means? 
That means you're speaking a library over your marriage. A library into your kids' lives. And you know, like, if you're old school like me, you still have piles of books in your office or in your home somewhere. But now I've shifted and I've got them on my, my cell phone, like piles of them on my e-readers, right? Like I got Audible. I'm, I got tons of books that I can search. Some of you, you can remember something somebody said over you like that. You remember some, something somebody said decades ago. I know I can. So can those that you love. So can your kids and your colleagues and your coworkers and these students that you're impacting. They can search it and they can pull it right up and you're speaking a library over them. You're speaking a library into the life of the church and the city and your nation and the politics of our nation. Be careful what books you're writing because they can be withdrawn and opened and read and reread and cited and copied and pasted over and over and over again. And so... What I really want to do is as I land this, I want to speak some life over you. Because I went out on a jog early this morning, and I used my jog as some of my prayer time. And I was praying for Pastor John and Kristen. I was praying for you. I felt like God just planted something inside of me for you guys. I was just, as I was praying for Pastor John and Kristen and the leadership of the church, I had this thought of like, these guys are warriors. Not just for what they've been through. Man, the pandemic's been tough on every one of us but because you guys are called to fight the good fight. It's a good fight because the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. It's a good fight because our weapons are with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? It's a good fight because we fight with prayer and fasting and the word of God and faithfulness and kindness and compassion, forgiveness and generosity. It's a good fight. But I know that along along the way in the fight there are tears I just felt like maybe what God is speaking for every tear that Kristen you've cried and other, of others in the church where you've shed a tear for the church or for the city and John for every sweat drop that has fallen from you in the effort and every one of you who have sweated to see a church started but you know how God sees the tears and the sweat it's like a refreshing rain falling on an arid land. A land crying out for healing rain. And your tears and your sweat are rain landing on arid land. And it's bringing healing. You know what the word of God says about the river of God? That as it flows, it brings life wherever it goes. And what I, what I sensed was just from Isaiah chapter 44 where it says, even if you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. They will not overtake you. If you go through the fire, it will not burn you. And then in Isaiah 58, it says this, you will be like, and it goes on to say, you'll be like a, a, a oasis in the desert. You'll be called the restorer or the rebuilder of broken places. That where you've cried and where you've sweat, God wants to bring healing and he wants to bring life. Lifehouse, that's why you're here. Because God is for Newport News. And you know how God shows that he's for the city? Through the church. When you think about an issue in the city and you think God should do something about that, you know what he does about it? The church. 
You are the response of God to the pain and the problems around you. And every time you think God should do something, he's saying, I am. You are the answer to the very prayers you're praying. Not because you have the capacity to answer those prayers. But when you pray them after amen, God says, now let me do the miracle through you. So God wants to bring healing and life through his church to transform a city. And I believe you're only on the front end of a great miracle. So let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you uprooted sin and death and eternal judgment from our hearts and lives. Thank you that we've been given new life and forever life through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we are not left on our own, but God, that you, you didn't just speak life. You gave your life to give us life. And thank you that you've called us to speak life and then to give life to those around us through faith in Jesus Christ and offering the love of God to people who are far from God. Now, Lord, help us to recognize the disproportionate power of our words so that we would bless and not curse by speaking what you've spoken into our church, our family, our classrooms, our city streets, and our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.